If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, The Tabernacle. Along with giving the Ten Commandments, God gave some additional directions. He gave special instructions for building a tabernacle, for establishing an elaborate system of sacrifices, and for ordaining the priesthood. After receiving these instructions, Moses built an altar and offered a sacrifice to God. He took the blood of the sacrificed animals and splashed it against the altar. Then after publicly reading the Ten Commandments and the other laws before the nation, he applied blood to the people themselves. In the same manner, he sprinkled blood over the Book of the Covenant containing the Ten Commandments and all the laws. Later, he would sprinkle blood over the tabernacle and all its furnishings used in worship, as well as those who would minister as priests, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18-22. to The Old Order God never intended for the Hebrews to approach him by trying to keep the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can't offer the blood evidence of a life given. God intended the Hebrews to approach him the way he had always intended, through a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Exodus 24.8 Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that God has made with you in accordance with all these words. It's always been God's provision to provide a blood sacrifice to atone for sin. Just as in the beginning, Abel offered God a blood sacrifice that God was pleased with, while Cain offered the fruit of the land, the works of his hands, which did not meet God's specifications. These two offerings speak prophetically to human history. Either we follow God's requirements for blood, or we invent something on our own called religion. You can read more about that in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 10. Genesis chapter 4 verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. God had in mind that when the Hebrew heard the Ten Commandments, he or she would run as fast as they could to the tabernacle, kill a lamb, and offer the blood in their place as a substitute for sin offering to a holy God. Therefore, God established a tabernacle, a sacrificial system, and a priesthood as the way for the Hebrew to approach him. The Hebrew was not to approach God by the Ten Commandments, but through the sacrifices administered by the priest at the tabernacle. The purpose of the Ten Commandments was to point out and identify what sin is. Romans 7, 7. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. It was already a given that the people would sin due to the sinful nature. Romans 8, 3. Under the Old Covenant, God's solution was the Levitical priesthood offering blood sacrifice that only covered sin until the blood of Jesus would be shed to take it away permanently. Romans 3 verse 20 and verse 25 to 26. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Under the new covenant, Jesus has become our great high priest, and his blood remits our sins from us forever, without a trace, no more bondage, just glorious liberty. Even though Jesus' human ancestry descended from the tribe of Judah, no one was to serve as a priest unless they could trace their lineage from the tribe of Levi. God overrides this regulation by making a proclamation that supersedes that law. Hebrews 7.17 For it is declared, You are a priest forever, speaking of Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Psalms 55. Gather to me my consecrated ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. God reminded his people that he entered into covenant with them by sacrifice. Colossians 2.17 and Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 tells us that God established this way to approach him as shadows of the real tabernacle and the real sacrifice and the real high priest who would come later. 
Then when the real thing came along, there would be no more need to bring animals to a building to be offered by a priest, because the ultimate sacrifice would have been made. All believers would be priests, the temple would be in us, and the laws would be written on our hearts. What God established in the Old Covenant was a temporary, preliminary system pointing the Hebrews to the direction of the New Covenant so that they would recognize Jesus, the seed of Abraham, when he came on the scene. The earthly tabernacle symbolically represents and points us to the real tabernacle, who is Jesus Christ. God gave the tabernacle and the details of its construction to portray in a temporary way what he would one day do permanently through Jesus Christ. We're going to discover that the tabernacle is a visible picture or model showing us how we come to God through Jesus Christ. From the foundations of the world, there's only been one way. Jesus is the only way. So God gave precise instructions to Moses in how to construct the natural replica of God's tabernacle that was already in heaven. In Exodus chapter 25 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and hides of sea cow, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, the onk stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is only a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another, but God found fault with the people. The tabernacle was to be the place where God will meet and dwell with his covenant people. God gives Moses detailed instructions on how to build the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 27, and chapter 30 to 31, and chapters 35 to 38, describes its construction and addresses the making of the priestly garments in Exodus chapters 28 to 29 and chapter 39. Now the reason God gave such detailed instructions is because this earthly tabernacle is to foreshadow and be patterned after the real tabernacle which was then in heaven. Nothing could be left to chance or man's imagination. The tabernacle was the place where the children of Israel would bring their sacrifices for sin and sacrifices of praise. They could only do this at the tabernacle. They couldn't make sacrifices out in the hills or just anywhere they wanted. 
they had to approach God this one way through the tabernacle. The Hebrew had to come to the tabernacle to get to God. He couldn't approach God his own way. Just as it is today, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as many paths that lead to God. There is only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. The tabernacle was portable so that the Hebrews could carry it with them on their journey. Later, when they got into their promised land, a more permanent structure was needed. God then used King Solomon to build a temple. You can read this in 1 Kings chapters 5 through 8. Solomon's temple was destroyed in 587 BC when Jerusalem finally fell to the Babylonians in 2 Kings chapter 25 verse 8 and 9. When they returned to their land from Babylon captivity, they rebuilt their temple. This was in around 536 BC in Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. However, because of meager resources, this temple was not as glorious as Solomon's temple. When the foundations were laid, the old men who had seen Solomon's temple wept for sorrow in Haggai chapter 2 verse 3. About 19 BC, Herod began to restore this temple, making it more grand and more majestic. However, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed again, this time by the Romans. The Bible tells us that the Jews will rebuild the temple in the latter days, just before the return of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 11 verse 1 and according to Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. The Campsite The tribes of Israel were camped around the tabernacle in specific locations which God assigned to each of them. Also, each tribe flew its own flag. Speaking to Moses and Aaron, God says in Numbers chapter 2 verse 2, each tribe will have its own tent area with its flagpole and tribal banner, and at the center of these tribal compounds will be the tabernacle. Then God assigns the tribal locations as recorded in the rest of Numbers chapter 2 and chapter 3. On the eastern side was the tribe of Judah. The flag for the tribe of Judah was a lion of gold on a field of scarlet. The western tribe was Ephraim. Its flag was a black ox on a field of gold. The southern tribe was Reuben. Reuben's flag was a man on a field of gold. Then on the north side was the tribe of Dan. Its flag was a golden eagle on a field of blue. The four symbols are referenced again in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 10 and Revelation chapter 4 verse 7. The line represents the king that reigns supreme. The ox represents the lowly servant. The man represents the highest earthly being. The eagle represents the greatest heavenly being. Clustered around the tabernacle itself were the Levite tents. The Levites were chosen by God to perform sacred duties at the tabernacle on behalf of the people. The Levite tents surrounded the tabernacle, shielding the people from the wrath of God. The flags of each tribe point us to the real banner of God, Jesus Christ, as he is portrayed in the four Gospels. In Matthew, Jesus is presented as the King of the Jews, the Lion from the tribe of Judah. In Mark, he is the suffering servant, the ox. In Luke, he is the Son of Man. In John, Jesus is revealed as the Son of God, the greatest heavenly being. As the Son of God, Jesus represents both God and mankind. As the Son of Man, he represents mankind to God. Like the Levite, he stands before God and mankind, shielding us from the wrath of God by his blood. 
Notice also this typology is also mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now let's look at the courtyard. Exodus chapter 27 verse 9 through 18 and chapter 38 verse 9 through 20. The tabernacle stood inside an outer enclosure or courtyard. The size of this courtyard was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. That's one half the length of a football field, and about as wide. Now anyone could go inside the courtyard, but only the priest could go inside the tabernacle itself. There was yet a further restriction. Only the high priest could enter the inner room called the Holy of Holies, and he could only do this on one day of the year. Now there's the coverings, Exodus chapter 26 verse 14. The tabernacle had two coverings. The outer covering, visible to the passerby, was made of badger's skin. It was a dull, unattractive, grayish color. The outsider wouldn't know about the majesty and glory inside the tabernacle unless he entered in. The other covering was directly underneath the badger skin and not visible to the outside passerby. It was made of ram skin that had been dyed red. Remember, the ram was a substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac, and of course, in the Bible, red represents blood. There were also curtains made of linen and goat's hair. There is much more we could say about the courtyard, the fence, the framework, and construction of the tabernacle. It is a rich study in itself and all points to the greater tabernacle made without hands. The goal for mankind is how to get into the inner room called the Holy of Holies, where God dwells. Our objective is to get to God. John chapter 1 verse 1 in the King James Version says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John continues this statement in verse 14 and says in John chapter 1 verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us is Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 1 verse 15 and Revelation 19.13. The Greek word for dwelt is skinu. It means to encamp, occupy, reside, indwell, or tabernacle. God was tabernacled among us in the form of a man named Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. In him, dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, according to Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 and chapter 2 verse 9. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 states, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's glory had dwelled in the Holy of Holies in the earthly tabernacle, and the temple made with hands. Now it was to dwell in Jesus Christ, the heavenly tabernacle made without hands. Jesus was made without hands in that he was begotten of God, not of mankind. He was born of a virgin. 
It was his body that God prepared for himself. Hebrews 2.14 and chapter 10 verse 5. John beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.6 that the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul even referred to Jesus as the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. But like the badger skin veiled God's glory in the earthly tabernacle, it was also veiled in Jesus, Philippians 2 verse 7. To the passerby, there was nothing exciting about this carpenter from Nazareth. Why, he looked just like everybody else. You see, the casual observer on the outside wouldn't know the Lord of glory was dwelling among them. But as the ram's skin that had been dyed red, the blood of God flowed underneath the outer shell of Jesus' body. It was to be the substitutionary blood to take away the sins of all who would enter into covenant with him. He was the seed of Abraham. Through the blood covenant, he would come to live in us by the Holy Spirit. We then would become the new tabernacle or dwelling place of God. After Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples to show them he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. On one occasion, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit in John 20, verse 22. Now that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, the Christian's body becomes the dwelling place of God. So God no longer dwells in a tent in the desert or brick and mortar on some street corner. He dwells in all who have entered into blood covenant with him and received his Holy Spirit. The individual Christian is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord of glory has come to take up residence in all of his creation who will confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead. Romans 10.9 Through the new birth, God now dwells in us. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, and chapter 2, verse 21 to 22. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it states, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. The world is clueless about this. It's up to us to share the good news that all the riches of God's inheritance dwells in his people, Ephesians 1.11. The only way they'll find out is by coming into this perfect tabernacle of God, Jesus Christ. They must become in Christ to experience the glory of God. I feel a preach coming on, yet to the casual observer on the service, there is seemingly nothing exciting or special about being a Christian. Ah, but what is seen is not all that appears. We are the light of the world. This glory that abides in us must exhume and emit from us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is meant to be visible for the world to partake of and to taste and see that the Lord is good through our lives. Our God is a consuming fire, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. We have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. It should be evident. There's an old saying, 
Light a fire and people will come to watch it burn. Acts 4.13 When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When we as Christians live spirit-filled lives, the new wine and joy of the Lord should astound the world that God Almighty truly lives within us and can live within them too through faith in Jesus Christ. We live under a better covenant than Moses. Now through Jesus, we can reflect the Lord's glory with unveiled, unashamed faces. So when the world asks us why we have so much joy, the answer concerns reality, not religion. 2 Corinthians 3.4 Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Holy Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when it comes to the tabernacle, the first thing you will notice is that there is one way to get into the courtyard. This way is through the eastern opening called the gate. You cannot get to God except you enter through the eastern gate. This is the only way in. As you approach the gate, you must have an acceptable sacrifice to get in. Here's another example of God showing us that Jesus is the only way to God. Exodus 27 verse 16. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the gate into the tabernacle was on the eastern side, the tribe of Judah camped in front of the gate. Remember, its flag was a lion of gold on a field of scarlet. Speaking of the temple that was later constructed, the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 43.4, the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. The Hebrew had to come through this gate to get to God. There was no other way. Jesus' lineage is of the tribe of Judah. Gold represents deity. The lion is the king that reigns supreme, yet he's covered by a field of scarlet blood. Revelation 5.5 says, Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. 
the tribe of Judah, its flag and the eastern gate all pointed the Hebrew to Jesus Christ, who said in John 14:6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The brazen altar. The first object staring you in the face as you enter the courtyard is the brazen altar. Brazen means brass. Exodus 27, verse 1 through 8, and chapter 38, verse 1 through 7. It is seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high. The altar is the place where you make your sacrifice. It is called the altar of burnt offering in Exodus 30, verse 28. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9 describes the burnt offering as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It is the smell of atonement for sin. You cannot be pardoned from sin and blessed by the priest until you come to this altar with a sacrifice. You can be the most moral Jew in your tribe, but you still have to bring the sacrifice. You can have lots of good works, but you still have to bring the sacrifice. Remember the Ten Commandments, the people, the tabernacle, and all its furnishings were sprinkled with blood. You don't approach God by trying to keep the Ten Commandments, but by the blood sacrifice that God has ordained as acceptable to Him. Under the Old Covenant, apart from the brazen altar, you cannot approach God at all. God summarizes this way to approach Him in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore I say to the Israelites, None of you may eat blood, nor may any alien living among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts an animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with the earth, because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, You must not eat the blood of any creature, because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. You see, in God's economy, blood is sacred. It represents life, which God has ordained as the only acceptable sacrifice and payment for sin and the penalty of death. Jesus, speaking of communion, said in Matthew 26:28, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 have much more to say about the blood of Jesus being the final payment for sin. Romans 3.25 God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Remember that in blood covenant, the sacrifice represents you and will take your place on the altar. And now as you bring your sacrifice to the altar, you lay heavily lean your hands on the head of the animal, claiming its death as a sacrifice on your behalf. Unless you claim the animal as your sin sacrifice, you cannot be accepted and declared clean. Only with the blood at the brazen altar can you enter the tabernacle and get to God. As you press your hand heavily on the animal's head and kill it, the priest standing there with you pours out the blood of the animal at the foot of the altar. So you approach God by faith, believing in your heart that through the blood covenant your sins are symbolically being transmitted to this animal. The slain animal becomes your personal sin substitute. Of course, you realize that the blood of an animal cannot take away your sins. The blood of the animal will cover your sins only until God himself 
comes to take them away forever. That's Jesus. John one twenty nine. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would imagine today that many animal rights activists would be outraged at the scale of animal sacrifice that occurred for an entire nation back in Old Testament times. There is nothing pleasant or pretty about cutting the throat of an animal and collecting its blood. Yet God chose this method as an object lesson for us to illustrate the awfulness of sin. God's justice demands an innocent life as payment for the wages of sin, which is death. Satan had taken humanity ransom through sin, and Jesus' blood was the payment to satisfy God's justice. Someone had to pay, but not just anyone. Only a perfect, sinless substitute would be acceptable to the Ancient of Days. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hebrews 9.15 Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The brazen altar represents the cross of Jesus. This is where the new covenant was cut. As the blood was poured out at the base of the altar, the blood of Jesus was poured out at the foot of the cross. He gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling Savior. Ephesians 5.2 When Jesus appeared to his disciples right after the resurrection, he made an amazing statement, Luke twenty four thirty eight. Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Notice that Jesus said flesh and bone. But what about his blood? He had already poured it out for us and taken it into the heavenly tabernacle upon the mercy seat having forever paid the price for our sins. Remember in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A thick veil blocks our way and keeps us from coming into the Holy of Holies where God dwells. Being the best moral and decent person in the community won't help us. Good works cannot earn merit or make us worthy of heaven. And west of course, you can live the perfect life in absolute thought, action, and motive. The Ten Commandments represent God's holy laws, but they can't save us because no one can follow them perfectly, so they end up condemning us and judging us in the end. The only solution is found in the universal principle of a blood sacrifice from an innocent victim as a substitutionary transference of sin, taking the penalty in place of another. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin at all. Leviticus 17.11, Hebrews 9.22. According to Isaiah 64.6, all our so-called self-righteousness is like filthy rags to God. We may be good compared to our neighbor, but our neighbor is not the standard that God uses. He compares us to himself, and none of us can measure up to his perfect absolute standards. It is absolutely impossible to approach God with our own goodness. But Jesus, who knew no sin, 
became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We approach God not with our own righteousness, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.9 When we personally accept by faith the blood of Jesus as our own substitutionary sacrifice for sin, his righteousness is imputed or counted to us. We then can enter into that more perfect tabernacle in heaven, right into the heavenly holy of holies based on what Jesus did for us, not on what we try to do for God. But where the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant only covered sin, the blood of Jesus takes it away to be remembered no more. No more sacrifices are needed, for the once and for all sacrifice has been made. Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. This is what Jesus meant when he cried from the cross, It is finished. In John 20 verse 30. The sin debt has been paid in full for all who receive it for themselves. All who will come to the cross of Jesus are to offer themselves to God as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 We become his purchased possession, paid for by his own blood. Out of love to our divine covenant partner, we who claim the name Christian are to glorify God in our body and spirit which belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, chapter 6 verse 19 and 20, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14, and chapter 2 verse 21 to 22. Because of his great grace to enter into covenant with us, we give him our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving, our very life. The brazen laver. The next object you encounter is the brazen laver. The laver is a wash basin, perhaps four or five feet high, filled with water. It is made of polished brass that the women used as a looking glass or mirror. When Aaron and his sons were consecrated or set apart as priests, they washed their entire body in the laver. Exodus 29 verse 4 and Leviticus 8 verse 6. This was a ceremonial cleansing. Thereafter, they only had to wash their hands and feet. God required them to wash their hands and feet before entering the tabernacle and before ministering at the altar. Exodus 30 verse 17 to 21 and chapter 38 verse 8. When Jesus went to wash the feet of his disciples, Peter protested, well-meaning but not understanding. Look at what Jesus said in John 13 verse 9. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. We are born again once, totally immersed in living water. Then after that, as we walk in this world, we get sin on our hands and feet. Therefore, we have 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We confess our sins and we are cleansed. We don't have to be born again all over again. Exodus 30, verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting an offering made to the Lord by fire, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Now, as the priest ministered during the day, he would get dirty, so would come to the laver and wash. As he looked into the laver, he would see himself in the polished brass. The laver showed him how dirty he was and where he needed to wash. 
But at the same time it showed him how dirty he was, it also provided the water for his cleansing. Thus the laver not only showed him he was dirty, it also cleansed him. You cannot enter the tabernacle unless you have a blood sacrifice and be washed clean in the laver. Therefore, you have come to God by the way of the water and blood. Hebrews 4.12, James 1, verse 23 to 24, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 states, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Whereas the altar points to the death of Jesus, the laver points to his life coming into us through the Holy Spirit. Remember the encounter Jesus had with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, who came at night to meet with him? John chapter 3 verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the human spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus met with the Samaritan woman by the well, and Jesus brought up the subject of living water in John chapter 4 verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. At the Feast of Tabernacles, when water from the pool of Siloam was being poured into a basin at the foot of the altar, Jesus stood and proclaimed in John 7.37, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Paul wrote that we receive the life of God through the blood covenant, Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, regeneration, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The word for regeneration is the Greek word palagnesi. It means to have a spiritual rebirth, Titus 3.5. God spoke of this spiritual cleansing through the old covenant prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I give your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. 
I will save you from all your uncleanliness. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, His blood cleanses us from all our sins, past, present, and future. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. His righteousness is imputed or counted to us, according to Romans 4, verse 22 to 24, and 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Philippians 3, 9, and Romans 8, 4. We are thus set aside to be ministering priests of the Most High God, and we never have to go back to the brazen altar again. We never have to go back to the cross. The Holy Spirit seals us into the covenant. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 30, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 5, and Jude 24. The Holy Spirit testifies with our human spirit that we are in a blood covenant and a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 17. Even as children of God, we still have a body with a sin nature in it, and our minds are in the process of being renewed with God's word. As a result, when we sin, we break our fellowship with God. As we walk in the world ministering as a priest of God, we get dirty spiritually. We sin. We don't have to be born again again, going back to the brazen altar, so to speak. Instead, we go to the laver. When we go to the laver, we don't have to be washed all over again and be born again, again, and again, and again. John chapter 13, verse 10. We only have to wash our hands and feet, which represents not our position in the covenant, but our service to God and our walk with God. The water in the laver points us to the Holy Spirit. The polished brass mirror points us to the Word of God as revealed through the Bible. When we look into the Bible, it is like looking into a mirror. The Bible is God's holy looking glass that reveals our sin. James chapter 1 verse 23. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. At the same time, the Bible is like a tub of hot water that the Holy Spirit uses to cleanse us as we allow him to. The Holy Spirit uses the Bible to wash us clean. Ah, but that pesky, dirty sin gets behind our ears and into difficult places to reach. Like little kids, we tend to resist a good bath. When we try to live our life, Without regular bathing, we begin to stink. Oh, we try to cover it up with speed stick deodorant or perfume of self-righteousness, but all we get is filthy rags. Are you getting the idea? The Holy Spirit scrubs us down with the Word of God really good in all those areas and places in our life where we are getting dirty. After this spiritual bath, we are cleansed from all unrighteousness according to 1 John 1.9. The same Word of God that reveals our sins also washes them away by the power of the Holy Spirit. This washing of our hands and feet by the Holy Spirit restores our fellowship with God. So like the old covenant priest, we can go into his presence and minister on his behalf to others with a clear conscience. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians five twenty six, To make the church holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Remember, there is no conflict in the Bible between the Old Covenant shadow and the New Covenant fulfillment which it points to. If these were not in agreement, then the shadow wouldn't line up with the light and we would miss the light. The New Covenant light in Christ Jesus perfectly fulfills the Old Covenant shadow pointing to Him. Therefore, if there appears to be a conflict between the two, it means we have misinterpreted the Scripture. This is a safeguard God has built into His Word to help us rightly divide it. The Holy Place You now approach the door of the tabernacle. It is a linen veil of blue, purple, and scarlet. Behind it are hidden the truths of God. Once inside, you see another veil that divides the tabernacle into two rooms, the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. The first outer room is called the Holy Place. Exodus chapter 25 verse 30 to 40 and chapter 37 verse 10 to 28. The Holy of Holies is the inner room behind the veil. Behind this veil dwells the presence of God. You are trying to get into this inner room, but you first must pass through the Holy Place. There are three pieces of furnishings in the Holy Place. The golden candlestick, the table of showbread, and the incense altar. Now that we have come by the way of the blood and the water, we can now enter through the door of the tabernacle. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the first one we're going to look at here is the golden candlestick. In Exodus chapter 25 verse 31 to 39, chapter 27 verse 20 to 21, and chapter 37 verse 17 to 24. So immediately to your left is the golden candlestick. It weighs about 107 pounds and has seven branches. The middle branch is the central shaft that continually feeds oil to the other six branches. These six branches in turn illuminate the taller central shaft. They are trimmed morning and evening to ensure continuous light. The golden candlestick provides all the light for the holy place. No natural light can get in. The golden candlestick points us to the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In John chapter 9 verse 5, Jesus said, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Yet on another occasion, Jesus speaking to all who would receive him, said in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. John chapter 1 verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 8 verse 12, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 2 Corinthians 4 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, how can this be? How can God be the light, Jesus be the light, and Christians be the light? There's only one way, and Jesus explained it when he spoke of the time he would send the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. He said in John chapter 14, verse 20, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, 
and I am in you. Believers in Christ Jesus have received the light of life in them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Since God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all claim to be the light, they all have to be God. We, in turn, are light bearers, vessels, or containers of this light of life, since we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is most clearly taught in the golden candlestick. Gold represents deity. The candlestick itself represents God the Father. The central shaft points us to God the Son, Jesus Christ. The oil symbolizes God the Holy Spirit. The six branches fed by the Holy Spirit represent believers, the church. Revelation chapter 1 verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. John saw Jesus standing in the midst of the candlestick, wearing his high priestly clothing as he intercedes for the church. As the central shaft fed oil to the six branches, the branches not only gave off light, but also illuminated the central shaft. Likewise, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell all believers. The Holy Spirit is our power source. Through His life flowing in us, we not only give off light, but we also illuminate and draw attention to Jesus. The candlestick provided the only light in the tabernacle. No natural light could get in. This points to the Christian walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, being fed by the oil, rather than trying to serve Jesus in the energy of the flesh religious works. We cannot give off light nor glorify Jesus Christ by trying to serve God through our own natural abilities, striving to keep the Ten Commandments or a list of do's and don'ts. This only leads to failure, frustration, and defeat. It will never glorify Jesus Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is His light that is to shine before men. When His light is shining, others will see His good works in our life and God will be glorified. Matthew 5.16. By good works, Jesus does not mean being active in all the programs at the church. He means that his own character of holiness and righteousness is to be manifested through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15 verse 26, chapter 16.14, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, chapter 2 verse 10, and Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 25. As the branches of the candlestick were trimmed morning and evening to ensure continuous light, the believer must continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to radiate the light and the life in him or her. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now to your right, directly across from the golden candlestick, is the table of showbread. This table was three feet long, one and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet high. Twelve loaves of bread, one loaf for each of the twelve tribes, are placed on the table in two heaps of six loaves. Then the loaves are covered with frankincense. Every Sabbath, the old loaves are removed and eaten by the priests, and a new loaves are placed on the table. On the table beside the loaves 
are trays and vessels of wine. The table of showbread with the accompanying bread and wine represent the blood covenant meal. The covenant is cut at the brazen altar. The animal that was sacrificed represents the persons entering into covenant. But instead of eating the animal and drinking its blood, bread and wine is offered. The six days the bread and wine sits on the table. It represents the life, the body and blood of the person being offered to God. In the case of the twelve loaves, represent the entire nation in covenant with God. On the Sabbath, the priest eats the bread and pours out the wine symbolically, feeding on and receiving into himself and the people he represents the life of God. The blood covenant meal at the table of showbread points to the time when mankind would have communion with God through the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6, Jesus presents himself as the bread of life. He explains it this way in John chapter 6 verse 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus claims to be the real thing, who has now come along to put away the old covenant and replace it with the new covenant in his blood. Jesus, seeing that the Jews didn't understand what he was talking about, further explains himself in John 6 verse 63. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So now straight ahead of you and directly in front of the second veil is the altar of incense. The altar is three feet high and one and a half feet square. Every morning and evening, the priest puts burning coals on this altar. He then sprinkles incense over the coals. When the incense touches the coals, it fills the room with a fragrant white cloud of smoke. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest sprinkles blood from the sin offering on the horns of this altar and enters the Holy of Holies with incense billowing up in front of him. The blood-sprinkled horns of the incense altar were proof that the sin offering had been made. This blood evidence allowed the high priest to enter the Holy of Holies into the very presence of God. As he went behind the veil, the incense billowed up in front of the Ark of the Covenant and the manifested presence of God in the glory cloud. The high priest could only go in once a year, and the veil hid God's presence so that no one else could approach him. This was because the sacrifice was incomplete and had to be offered every year. The blood of bulls and goats only covered people's sins. It did not take them away. Incense is a symbol of prayer. Psalms 141 verse 2. It represents the high priestly prayers of Jesus and our prayers offered in his name in John chapter 17 verse 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 and chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. 
Jesus is worthy to petition to the Father on our behalf because his own blood is on the incense altar. Through his blood, God receives our prayers offered in the name of Jesus. The Holy of Holies The second veil separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place. This veil was so woven together that two pairs of oxen attached to either side and driven in opposite directions could not tear it apart. Behind this veil is the throne room of God. This is your destination, but your way is blocked. You can't go behind the veil. You can't enter into God's presence. Only the high priest can enter God's presence and only on the Day of Atonement, and that's once a year. The veil that hid the glory represented the veiled glory of God in the human body of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified, God the Father split the veil from top to bottom, as stated in Matthew chapter 27 verse 27 to 51, Mark chapter 15 verse 38, and Luke chapter 23 verse 45. It was no longer needed because the once and for all perfect sacrifice has been made. Whereas the blood of bulls and goats are only covered sins, the blood of Jesus takes them away forever. No more sacrifices are needed. Hebrews 10 verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. The blood of Jesus opens the way for all to go right into the heavenly throne room of God and commune with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 through 18. Colossians 1 verse 20 to 22. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 to 22. Earlier, we read about the Samaritan woman who met Jesus at Jacob's well. Samaritans were part Jew and part Gentile. They worshipped God on Mount Gerizim, which was north of Jerusalem. The Jews, on the other hand, including Jesus, worshipped God in Jerusalem. John 4 verse 19 Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus was saying the day was soon coming when a person wouldn't have to go to some place to worship God. We would be able to worship God out of our own spirit in communion with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit himself would take us right into the Father's house, the heavenly Holy of Holies, regardless of where we might be physically on this earth. In other words, it's not about being in a building anymore. We are that building together as believers. We are the church of Jesus Christ by receiving the Holy Spirit. He connects us all together. Ephesians 2 verse 21 In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Much that goes under the name of worship is not really worship, but merely a satisfying of a person's religious obligations and the soothing of their seared conscience. Those not having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they're not saved. The only true worship that Jesus talked about is that given through the Holy Spirit, based on the truth of God's word. In God's presence, 
in my Father's house. All who desire true worship may go there because the veil has been removed. Praise God. Now concerning the Ark of the Covenant, Exodus chapter 25 verse 10 to 22 and chapter 37 verse 1 through 9. The only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a small chest, three and three-fourths feet long and two and one-quarter feet wide and two and one-quarter feet high. The lid attached to the Ark is called the mercy seat. The Greek word that means the same as the Hebrew word for mercy seat is helosteron. The English word for helosteron is propitiation. Propitiation or atonement simply means to turn away God's wrath by removing sin and satisfying his violated justice. Remember, the only offering that will turn away his wrath and satisfy his justice is blood. It is the only evidence that the penalty for sin has been paid. The mercy seat is the place of propitiation. There is where the blood will be applied. A replica of a cherubim angel is attached to each end of the mercy seat. Their wings are outstretched, touching each other at the middle of the lid. Right between the two cherubim and above the mercy seat is a blinding light. This bright light is called the Shekinah, means the presence of God's glory. It is the manifested presence of God dwelling in the midst of the people. The Holy of Holies is God's earthly throne room. The mercy seat is his throne, and the great light is his visible presence. Psalms 99 verse 1. The Lord reigns, but the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Three objects were placed inside the ark under the mercy seat. These were Aaron's rod that had budded with almonds, a small pot of manna, and the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. Aaron's rod reminded God that the Hebrews had early rejected his leadership through Aaron in Numbers chapters 16 and 17. The pot of manna spoke of the Hebrews' earlier rejection of God's earthly provisions in Numbers chapter 11, and the Ten Commandments were broken by the Hebrews and reminded God that the people fall short of his holiness and glory, Exodus chapter 32. Every day God would look down from his cloud of glory and see man's evidence of sin, and the penalty for sin is death. God's justice must be administered. He cannot allow rebellion. His wrath must be vindicated. However, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest comes behind the veil into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the innocent sacrifice. This is the sacrifice God has ordained to take your place in the blood covenant until he comes himself personally to earth on your behalf. As incense fills the room, the high priest sprinkles the blood of the sacrifice over the mercy seat. At that moment, as God looks down from his cloud of glory, he doesn't see the evidence of man's sin. Instead, he sees the blood. The blood of the innocent sacrifice tells God that life has been given to pay the penalty of sin, which is death. The blood-covered mercy seat, not the Ten Commandments, changes God's throne from one of judgment to one of mercy. Justice has been administered and God's wrath is vindicated. After his first resurrection, Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene and made an amazing statement. 
about what was to happen. Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, was going to ascend into heaven and enter into the heavenly holy of holies to sprinkle his own blood over the Ark of the Covenant in God's heavenly throne room. When he offered it, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In John chapter 20 verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Remember, the blood-covered mercy seat was attached to the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was the place of atonement, turning aside God's wrath by taking away sin. Jesus is now seated at God's right hand. The slain but resurrected Lamb of God is on the throne. Acts 2 verse 30, Revelation chapter 3 21, chapter 5 verse 6 and 9, and chapter 21 verse 5. It's his blood that completely satisfies the wrath of God's violated justice. It's his blood that changes God's throne from one of judgment to one of mercy. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to 16 and chapter 9 verse 6 through 15. Let's now read Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The blood covenant is an eternal, everlasting covenant. All who enter into it will dwell with God forever, as stated in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1-7. through If you have been trying to approach God through the Ten Commandments, you now see how hopeless that is. God's absolute standards are beyond your reach. Even when you are at your best, you simply cannot measure up to His perfect holiness. Like the Hebrew of old, you must flee to the real tabernacle of God, Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 35, we see a collection is made from the Israelite community for the construction of the tabernacle. Exodus 35 verse 4, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onk stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. By God's amazing grace, an amazing amount of generosity was on display on behalf of the Israelites in providing materials for the construction of the tabernacle, even to the point where the people had to be restrained 
Such overwhelming generosity is most appropriate for God's people. Philippians chapter 4 verse 18. Exodus 35 verse 20 to 29 and verse 29. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offering for all the work of the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Exodus chapter 36 verse 3, And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because they had already had what was more than enough to do all the work. God had anointed men with the Holy Spirit to be skilled in all kinds of craftsmanship for construction of the tabernacle. I firmly believe that God continues to anoint his children today with all kinds of talents and abilities that again sets his covenant people apart from the rest of the world. I encourage you to trust God to take your career and trade to the next level for the glory of God. Exodus chapter 35 verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Beaziel, son of Uri, and the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Olhimba, son of Eshomech, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and in fine linen and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. In Exodus chapter 40, we see the tabernacle being set up under the watchful eye of Moses to ensure that God's requirements are fully met. Once the task was completed, we see God's approval as his glory fills the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40 verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud by day and the fire in the cloud by night is a reminder for us that God is our source. And when he moves, we ought to move with him. Romans 8.14 Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And Galatians 5.18 But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law makes it clear that God should be the one plotting our path for our lives, leading and guiding us according to His plans, His purposes, and His pursuits. Exodus 40.36 In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Proverbs 3 verse 5 Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. 
I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life Study Series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.